It's such a powerful part of the... I'm going to switch mics if I could here. It's such a powerful part of um, of uh, the Palm Sunday worship, but I, I just want to remind you what Hosanna means, right? It means, please, God, save us. And and here's the deal. When, when God does... Is there a testimony out there? Is there a time when God has delivered you? When He does, you see how the very thing that you cried out becomes now instead of a prayer, it becomes a praise, right? Um, uh, Hosanna means the Anna part is please, and the Jose part is the save, right? And of course, we know that that in Hebrew, Hosea means God saves, and and the Greek way of saying Hosea is Jesus, right? Jesus. So God has saved. Some of us are on the side where we're still crying out to God, and and God bless you as you do that. He hears. He does respond. But many of us are on the other side, too, where we know that he does, and we worship and we praise him. Open your open your scriptures, if you would, today to um, to Luke chapter 19, the Gospel of Luke chapter 19, and uh, we'll share our passage today. I, I took the Luke passage, but I could have taken it from John or from Matthew. Um, the Gospels all record these events. They're so seminal, so critical that the Gospels all record them. But in Luke chapter 19, I'm going to pick it up a little late and hint at the earlier portions, but in Luke chapter 19, around verse 36, as Jesus rode along the people spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, and and drawing near to Jerusalem, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, with all of the holy city spread out before him in the foreground, in the background, that stark reminder of of the the presence of evil, um, Herodium, that artificial mountain which stood on the far side of Jerusalem. As, as he came down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. Yesterday, as we were preparing to reach out to the neighbors, Carol gave a wonderful uh, devotion, just just explaining who uh, who that multitude of disciples were. Who who were they? They were the people that had been touched by Jesus, right? Whose lives had been forever changed by Jesus and 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 they were crying out now they were rejoicing and praise God praising God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen saying blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord quoting Psalm 118 peace in heaven and glory in the highest and some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Why? Because the only person who was worthy of such praise was the Messiah, the, the Christ who was to come. Rebuke your disciples. And Jesus answered, I tell you, if these were silent, I'll hear this, people. If we will not cry out in praise, the very stones will cry out, right? But look at this. This is so poignant. And when Jesus drew near and saw the city, everybody's rejoicing, everybody is celebrating, right? Except Jesus. He wept over it, 
saying, would that even you, even you, Jerusalem, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. They prophesied, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you on in on every side. They will tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you, Jerusalem, because you did not know the time of your visitation. You did not, in IV, recognize the time of his coming. The very word of God. No, thanks be to God. Well, you are welcome to um, follow along with us. Uh, as we as we go, uh, if you grabbed a bulletin, there are just some very simple notes in there for you. I want to think especially, it's going to be a little bit different uh, today because I want to invite you to think with me deeply about symbols today, about symbols. In Daniel, we saw so much was revealed in symbols, right? And for us, it was really confusing, right? Um, because not all the symbols had as much meaning for us as they did for Daniel and the people in his time. Next week, we begin in Revelation. Next week, yeah, wow. We'll be in Revelation 4 and 5 next week on Easter Sunday morning. And and two things about both Daniel and, and, and now especially about Revelation is that, first of all, for both of them, they are very symbol-oriented. There's a lot of meaning in symbols, and, and it's really important that we attach the right meaning to the symbols. But then especially as we look at Revelation beginning next week, we're going to see that over 500 times in Revelation, um, uh, the angel or Jesus or God refers back to the Old Testament prophecies, refers back to the, That's why we spend so much time in Daniel, because, because it lays a foundation and helps us understand some of these symbols But I want you to, as we begin, just understand the context for which these symbols uh, are revealed. And 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 we I changed the word this morning that I was going to use. I I just want to call it exile, right? That people are far from God. So the context uh, of the immediate one, when Jesus actually entered Jerusalem, was that the people were far from God. They were oppressed by. a hellacious government that caused much suffering, right? And, and so there's there's no judgment or condemnation when we see them gravitating toward uh, toward just physical deliverance from the Romans, the fourth kingdom, right? Physical deliverance from the Romans. Um, you can understand they're crying out. Even though they've been physically in the city, they still are oppressed. Even though they're physically in the Holy Land, they still have not been reconciled to God. Let me just camp on that for just a moment. I, unless your heart has become seared when you're in broken relationship with someone, you feel that. There's a weight of that. Now, many of us have gotten pretty good at pushing it down, right? And, and, and I've shared that illustration with you so many times. It's like standing as a child in a swimming pool on top of a ball. And, and trying to balance on top of that ball. You can do that for a long, long period of time, and then one day that ball just gets away. 
One day that, that broken relationship just explodes to the surface. And so, so a big part of, even though they're living in the Holy Land, even though they're, they're in the city of Jerusalem, even though there's a temple where sacrifices are being made, they're still living in separation from relationship with the living God. So what, so what happens? Jesus is very intentional. We didn't read this part, but I invite you to go back a few verses on your own and watch this mystery as he very intentionally tells the disciples to go into Jerusalem. They'll find a donkey tied up outside. Now, keep in mind that a donkey, our first symbol, right? A donkey is a mode of transportation, right? It may not be a Cadillac, but it's a Volkswagen, right? And and to steal a donkey... Is like stealing a car, right? And so um, this is no small thing that's going on right here. Jesus says, I want you to go in there and take that. If anybody asks you, what are you doing? It's exactly what happened. You say, the Lord needs it, and it'll be okay. And exactly what Jesus said came true, came true. But why... Why this symbol? Why was a donkey so important? Now, again, transport yourself back to that time. If, if a, a deliverer was going to come into a city, right? If, if, if um, someone was going to break the power of the Romans, what, what would they ride on? It would not be a donkey, right? It would be a, what would you imagine? Pardon me? Are those masks are keeping me from understanding. A white, yeah. Yeah, that, that's what I would picture, right? That's kind of ingrained in our mentality. And, and that's uh, uh, biblical imagery as well. We'll see that. We'll see that early in Revelation, and then we'll see at the end of Revelation as well. He is coming one day on a white stallion. He's coming in military might one day. But this was not the day. And if you miss the symbol, you miss everything that Jesus was doing on Palm Sunday. No, instead he chose he chose a donkey. No, no, 500 years before Zechariah had prophesied, I think it's there for you in your notes. Rejoice greatly, O daughter. Zechariah is seeing this happening right before his eyes 500 years before it happened. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, that's Jerusalem. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your kingdom, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. So so far, so good, right? Yeah, yeah, bring it, bring it. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, a less than one-year-old donkey, the foal of a donkey, right? Um, who was it that rode donkeys? Well, it was, it was prophets who rode donkeys. It was normal people who rode donkeys. It was priests who rode donkeys, right? Make no mistake, Jesus is coming again. And all the prophecies of his glorious coming on a stallion are true, right? But before he could ever come on a stallion, he came in humble triumph. On a donkey. On a donkey. No, the clues were there. They knew scripture so much better than we do. And, and they knew this prophecy. They knew Zechariah 9, 9. But, but their circumstances were screaming for, for the stallion, right? But Jesus came instead on a donkey. A powerful symbol. He's coming this time in humility. If you do not understand it, you will not be able to explain 
whole religions cannot understand why Jesus allowed himself to be crucified. But you can. You can if you understand that that triumph also comes in humility. The second the second symbol I want to note there for a second is is the palm branch, right? What is what is this? Many of you are familiar with the background, but but um, Daniel prophesied right up to the end of the Grecian um, period, the third kingdom. He said there would be a fourth kingdom that would come after that. But at the end of the third kingdom, there was a terrible, there was a terrible king, an antichrist. There was a, a, a person named Antiochus who who was so power hungry and so proud that he could not stomach the thought of being humble. He could not stomach the thought of being humiliated. And and as he attempted to conquer Egypt, the Romans showed up on the far side. They put him in a circle, Antiochus, in a circle. And they said, I need you to surrender before you step outside that circle. And he was humiliated before them. Just as Daniel had prophesied, he returned to that beautiful land, Daniel called it, He returned to the Holy Land and he took out his wrath on the people of Jerusalem. He set up in the temple an idol. He sacrificed pigs on that. He forced them to worship the abomination of desolation. And and the people were, were humiliated and they were rejected. And, and one person stood up. His name was Judas Maccabeus, right? And, and he fought back and, and, and he won a victory over Antiochus. He won a victory over that Grecian kingdom. Now the Romans aren't here yet. And for a brief period of time from 167 to, to maybe 37 BC, a little over a hundred years, um, Israel was in control of, of its own destiny. And you'd like to think, well, that must have been wonderful, but they were, like the United States today, divided by parties and warring with one another. It wasn't as beautiful as it sounds. But, but the symbol for their victory over, uh, over um, Antiochus, over the Seleucids, was a palm branch. You see, they didn't have enough resources to be able to make banners and pageantry, right? They had to take what was available to them. And so they took simple palm branches and, and that became the symbol of their deliverance, right? That became the symbol of their victory. And they put it on their coins in that brief hundred year period. Even to this day, you can find them with palm branches on it in a in a couple of weeks Kristen's going to help us understand uh, the, the role of palm branches in eternity as as well but I want you to understand that, that that was a powerful thing what did they mean when they started waving palm branches at Jesus I would love to think that they fully grasped they fully grasped the magnitude of what Jesus came to do but the reality was he wept because they didn't. How many times do we want something from God, right? And he has something so much better, right? But we can't see it. We can't see it because right in front of us is our pain. Right in front of us is our, is our poverty. Right in front of us is our need, right? 
They waved palm branches because they wanted Jesus to be another Judas Maccabeus. They wanted him to be another military deliverer. They cried out the words of Psalm 118. You, one of your favorite verses is, This is the day, help me, that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I bet you know that line. Do you know the next word? Psalm 18, maybe 26. Hosanna. Save us. Save us. They they wanted deliverance from the Romans. What is it that you want deliverance from? Um, There are many there are many things that oppress us, um, though right now, not military presence. That may very well be in our future. But there are many things that oppress us right now. What do you want from Jesus? The reason I'm asking so pointedly is because what we need from Jesus is what you received just a little while ago. Forgiveness. They wanted deliverance from the Romans, but he wanted to give them deliverance from their sin. From their sin. Now, some of you are thinking, well, I did that. I kind of prayed when I was a child, right? Have you messed up since then? <laughs> Not. It has been exactly 17 seconds since I messed up, okay? Um, it's a living relationship of forgiveness. It's a living relationship that humbles ourselves before the only one who's able to deliver us and magnifies the, the Lord instead. So, so they wanted deliverance. They waved palm branches, wanted deliverance from military power. He offered to any who would receive it. He offered deliverance from their sin. I'm pushing this a little bit, but I want you to understand If you only get military deliverance, if you only get physical freedom, you don't get spiritual freedom. If instead you get spiritual freedom, you get physical and emotional freedom as well. Did you follow that? Did you follow that? Don't shoot so low, right? Don't Don't ask for so little. Christ came to deliver you from sin. And that changes everything. How how would he do that? That brings us to our last last symbol here today. Um, uh, And and it's it's a kind of invisible symbol. You would not have seen it unless you could interpret my notes already and you filled in the blank already. And it has to do with the timing of the day that Jesus came into Jerusalem. Remember how when Lazarus died, he waited? He waited until four days. Lazarus had been in the tomb four days by the time he got to the home of his best friend and 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 um, began to grieve with them and ultimately to raise Lazarus from the dead. Timing is everything, right? That's why there's so much in Scripture that we don't understand it has to do with God's timing, Kairos, right? And not our timing, Kronos, right? Uh, so, so um, 
Why did Jesus enter Jerusalem on this day? Let me put it this way. Why did he enter on Palm Sunday? Well, it wasn't Palm Sunday, right? We, we call it Palm Sunday. But it was a very holy day, right? Way back, way back in, in Exodus chapter 12. Um, at the very first time God delivered his people from Israel. He, uh, uh, Moses, the Lord said to Moses these words, This month shall be for you the beginning of all months. This is a brand new beginning, right? It shall be for you the first month of the year for you. Now tell all of the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of the month, excuse me, the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall share, right, basically. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. And look at this. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month, which later we know of as Passover. And then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. I just alienated half of the people listening right here, right? We just cannot imagine that. Kathy, do you remember that day where I brought Coco in here? Little Coco in the back. And I tried to impress upon you that the reason that they took them into their houses for four days was because, because they were be a part of the family for four days. If you have a beloved pet, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Um, they become a part of the family. In fact, in my household, they rule the family. But, but they become so very special. So can you imagine then taking that beloved pet and 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 killing it. And why would they do that? Because apart from any other sacrifice, we deserve punishment for our sins. The wages of sin is death. The Apostle Paul would write later, all right? But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death and, and there must be, there must be for justice to be met a sacrifice made. Well, many of you are saying, why does that not happen now then? Do you remember when when, um, when John first saw Jesus? He, he, he knew of his coming. John, in his mother's womb, was the first one to celebrate the coming of the Messiah. But now, 30 years later, he's fulfilling God's purpose for him. He's, he's preparing people for the Messiah and he's baptizing, and here comes the Messiah, right? Here comes Jesus. Do you remember what he said? I think I wrote it down for you in here. Behold, look there, look at this. The Lamb of God, who now doesn't take away the sins of an individual or of a household or of a couple households sharing a lamb together, but who takes away the sins of the world takes away the sins of the world. Why did Jesus come to Jerusalem that day? Because it was not Palm Sunday. That We'd call that hundreds of years later, we would call it Palm Sunday. But the name of that day was Lamb Selection Day. And you had to be in Jerusalem by that time, right? To, to um, you didn't want to carry, if you came from 
from uh, Egypt. You didn't want to carry your land that whole way. You brought the resources and you exchanged them for an unblemished lamb. And, and you chose the lamb that day and kept it with you for four days. What is he saying? You know what he's saying. He's saying the same thing then that he's saying to us now. Here I am. Here I am. Choose me. Choose me. All those ways that you're trying to save yourself, all those things that you're doing by your own works, by your own efforts, even good efforts, by your own attempts at purity, all those things cannot save you. Choose me. And and for all those then and now who respond in faith to Jesus' invitation and choose him, receive forgiveness for sins. Your side past, right? Present, future, and future. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And when you risk trusting in that, when you risk believing, and it's and it's an, it's a, it's a effort, and you say, "I choose to believe that," then you receive the gift that Jerusalem didn't that day. You receive the gift of eternal life. Come on up, worship team. While they're coming up, I just want to invite you to think about one more critical point here. Um, Jesus was very intentional on Lamb Selection Day, on, on revealing himself in a way that people could receive. But there is a huge cost. There is a high cost of inattention, of inattention for whatever reason, right? The very same people that were celebrating on his coming, thinking that he was a military leader, just five short days later were crying out, crucify him, right? Were calling for his death. So so when Jesus comes to Jerusalem, he looks at the city and he doesn't rejoice even though everyone else is rejoicing. When Jesus comes, he sees what's going to happen. He sees what's going to happen to the city. He describes it in detail. And if you were to go to Jerusalem today, you can still see the stones lying where they fell in fulfillment of these words that we just read today. The Temple Mount was wiped clean. Every stone on it was knocked down as if as if the Roman government was saying, enough of this, I don't want anything. And that's important for us, right? Because governments will do that. At some point, government recognizes that, that it wants to be more powerful than God, right? The whole testimony of Daniel was there is going to be a succession of earthly kingdoms that will not be able to deliver you. But way back in the beginning of Daniel, then we saw that that there's a stone that, that is cut out from the hills and rolls down and crushes those human kingdoms. Who? What is that stone? Well, the cornerstone is Jesus, right? But he, it, the stone represents the kingdom of God, which is available to you right now. You can live right now in eternity. And, and beloved, when you do, people see the love of Jesus in you. 
people see how to live. Like me, so many years ago now, they say, I don't know what it is you have, but I want some of that. I need some of that. Will you tell me how to have a relationship with God? Jesus wept that day because they didn't get it. They did not understand. They did not recognize. They did not know the time of their visitation. Let's not, let's not make that same mistake. Amen? Let's not make that same mistake. And let's not suffer that anybody around us, our workmates, our family members, let's not suffer that anyone around us wouldn't at least have the opportunity to understand the love of God which would give His only begotten Son to offer Himself once for all for our pain and our brokenness that any who would believe in Him would have everlasting life. Will you pray with me? Oh God, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you that it never returns to you void. Thank you that that any God who will open their hearts and their minds and their eyes to your presence can encounter the love that was poured out for us that holy week in Jerusalem. How is it possible right now, God, that that you could help us understand? your purpose in bringing Jesus to Jerusalem that day. He knew. He knew that they would turn against him. He knew that they would create lies about who he was and and his his real purpose. He knew ultimately that, that they would, in this most horrific way, crucify him and leave him naked to die on a hill in public view to to frighten and scare away any who might trust and believe that your kingdom is greater than earthly kingdoms. So, God, I thank you for Palm Sunday. Thank you for this chance to remember each year how very intentional you were in loving us in a way that could deliver us from our brokenness. In a way, I thank you for the betrayal of Judas because that precipitated God our our release God I thank you I thank you for the cross because on that cross was crucified all my sin all my shame all my brokenness and on this side of resurrection God we just pray that you would help us to deeply understand the grace that is ours through Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that our rejoicing, our palm branches will not be for a military deliverer, but will be, uh, Father, our, our praise response to the beautiful deliverance of Jesus. We trust you, Jesus, that you died for our sins. We believe that you are Lord of lords and King of kings. God, we believe that you raised Jesus from the dead to validate what he did for us. So we thank you. Praise you.